Lizanda Ginska, and this is Pros and Content. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch, a digital content intelligence platform. I'm a massive data nerd who's fallen in love with storytelling. And so on the Pros and Content podcast, we will be featuring a series of really incredible leaders who believe in storytelling and who have different perspectives on the importance, measurement, scalability, and optimization of storytelling. I'm so excited about today's episode because it's a little bit different from our typical format and a lot of fun. I decided to invite one of my close friends and um, mentors, Rachel Tipograph, a fellow kick-ass female entrepreneur who I've been trying to follow and be more like for the last few years. She's the founder and CEO of Micmac. Um, and we decided to just go back and forth on a bunch of ideas and industry topics that um, were really relevant for us in 2019. We had a lot of debates. We didn't agree on everything. We decided to talk about performance marketing and brand marketing and content, offline brands versus online brands, D2C, blockchain, all the stuff that everyone talked about in 2019. It was a lot of fun, and I think it was pretty insightful. Here's my conversation with Rachel Tipograph. Hi, Rachel. Hi, I'm so honored to be here in oh our my God. content studio at Notch. I know, we're making stuff up and, and now it's picking up. It's actually becoming a thing. I'm getting calls. People are saying, oh, I've listened to this. Like, oh, this is awesome. But I wanted to I wanted to do this with you because uh, one of the biggest feedbacks, that feedback pieces that I got was that um, I should talk more about what I think about the market, but mm-hmm. then I should also be in conversation with someone who's equally opinionated slash more opinionated than me about where the market's going. And whenever we get together, we talk so much about everything from marketing, advertising, the many different changes in our space, but then also technology, fundraising, how it is to be a female entrepreneur, et cetera. So I wanted to to do this with you. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so I was actually thinking this year's been a big year for you, a lot of transformation of all sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been an amazing year for you as well. Yeah, um, I'm so proud of Micmac right now. You've gone through um, a ton of changes, and we have as well. We've had to hire a lot of leaders and transition a lot of leaders. Tell us a bit about the growth that you see in the space, in your space. Yeah, so um, Micmac, for those who don't know, we're an enterprise software company, and we help brands connect their digital investments to e-retail data. So at places like Amazon, Target, Walmart, Ulta, Sephora. And we work with clients like Unilever, L'Oreal, Hasbro, uh, you name it. If you're selling at Amazon, Target, Walmart, you're probably our client because you live in darkness with e-retail data. When I started the company almost five years ago, literally out of my apartment in Brooklyn, I was way ahead of the space. Mm. Um, Companies like L'Oreal and Unilever, they didn't have a number one business priority of e-com acceleration. Today, mm-hmm. they do. So in many ways, I how, have, how small is it, by the way, for some of these companies or how big is it or how fast is it growing? The e-com focus well, and business it's typically the fastest growing part of someone's business. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, take someone like L'Oreal, like you're talking about over 50 percent of their revenue now. Mm-hmm. That's obviously different in the category like grocery, but it's still growing at a clip of like 100 percent year over year. And so uh, the market is now here and it is a top goal of more most of the fortune 1000 and we've you know brought a very unique product to market that is resonating um and so for me i 
just totally misforecast this year. And, you know, we we blew through the revenue goal that we set for ourselves in August. Um, and now it's about hiring and as everything you alluded to, organizational change. Um, and I'm so freaking amped for 2020. Uh, I've spent the majority of this year working on parts of the product that have yet to be seen. And soon the world will be seeing them in early 2020. So I'm just stoked. Well, that's amazing. And I think it says so much about the market where it's at. Um, When I started Notch, I feel like most people that I was talking to about content had no idea what I was talking to them about. I didn't really have an idea because I had nothing to do with the marketing realm, unlike you, who were a total specialist and rock star, um, growing through the ranks at Gap and a few other places. Um, And I think we're kind of in the same place where it's become a total category. but you know, we always joke about how your customers are like the polar opposite of my customers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so whenever we meet each other's customers, we make sure we introduce each other. Yeah. Um, what's funny is I sort of realized that the content is really going to be important for high consideration products. Like the harder it is to sell, the more you want to mm-hmm. put content around it. Um, the easier it is to sell, the more performance you're going to be driven, the more performance marketing you're going to be driven or e-commerce driven. Mm-hmm. Um and so that leads me to one of the questions that we always end up talking about on the podcast. And I, I feel like everyone's so sick of this question and no one wants to answer it or deal with it, but it's a reality. It's this kind of dichotomy and polarization between brand and performance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is it still there? Is it going to continue? How how do you think it's going to evolve? And how do we bridge a gap between what we do even? Yeah. Um, so the analogy that I always like to talk about is uh, the time that I had a gap, because I think it's it's very clear to people when I can explain it this way. You have to do both. You have to invest in the top of the funnel and bottom of the funnel at once. And what we found at Gap is when we invested in television, mobile, and social, we saw a 1.5x lift in our overall CPA efficiency. Mm-hmm. The reason why is if people are aware of your product, then you don't have to spend as much to acquire them, of right? Of course, yeah. Now, we had two different channels at Gap. We had brick and mortar and we had e-com. Brick and mortar, it took what we called nine positive interactions to get someone to convert. Wow. Meaning you saw a television commercial, then a billboard, you saw an influencer, you got a coupon, your mom told you about something. Nine of those interactions to get you to leave the couch and go into the store. Mm. It took three to get someone to convert on Gap.com. Hmm. So... That makes sense, right? Because the the friction isn't as exactly. high. You don't 100%. have to get out of the house. Exactly. Up from the couch. Exactly. So you have to do both. If you only did bottom of the funnel, which some companies do. They totally do. Then you erode your brand. And you train people to never shop at full price, which was the problem when I arrived mm-hmm. at Gap. I'm sure for anyone who's ever shopped Gap, you know, to never buy the item unless it's at least 40%, yeah, right? Yeah. We've trained America to shop discounts. Yeah, there's some brands that definitely have that. Mm-hmm. And then if all you do is invest in brand, mm-hmm. then you're probably not hitting your sales numbers. Mm-hmm. And you ultimately need a mix in the middle. Um, you know, I. By the way, do you think Apple's different? Like, have they figured out somehow how to only invest in brand and still hit the sales numbers? Apple's unique. Apple has an incredible product. Mm. The reality is most people know 
that their products are not incredible. But I would debate that. I think Apple has an incredible product, but what differentiates Apple is more the feel that you get with having that product. Because there are products that I think technically could be better slash are better. Like I'm not going to have the Mac or PC debate because I am a Mac user, right? (laughs) But I think what Apple did is they created, you know, super well-designed, easy-to-use products, right? And sure, other people could do that, Mm -hmm. but their moat is brand, right? Right. I think there's some exclusivity that comes with or used to come with being a... Or it it is a brand, right? When you ha- when you are not a a, a Mac slash mm-hmm. iPhone user, um, I think you're trying to send a message to the world. And when you are an iPhone user, yeah. you're kind of sending a different message to the world. So I do think it kind of comes back to brand. But I, I I don't know how exactly they did that, and if anyone else could do it. Do you know if there's any other brands that have done this today? Oh, you could argue Nike, right? I mean, again, like Nike's what you're saying, like Nike's products in some ways you could consider middle of the road, but they right. built an incredible brand around That's it. That's true. I mean, even look at Supreme, like it's a white T-shirt with a logo on it. Yeah, right? I, don't, I don't get that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, did Nike take all their inventory off of Amazon? Did yes. that happen this year? Yeah. Okay. They did do that. Was that the new CEO? Yep. Interesting. Um, and, but they can do that because of brand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if if they do that, and how does that? Let's say Nike's a customer of yours. How does that impact your business, if at all? Oh well, that would impact me significantly because we don't work with pure play D to C's. I work with multi-channel right. brands. Right, right, right. Interesting. Yeah. But the entire the world is not going that direction. The world's going yeah. the opposite direction. Correct. And but sorry, let me actually ask that: Is the world going in the opposite direction? Yeah. So what what happens for most people who are not Nike? Right. Right. Like Nike is an exception. And everyone kind of needs to recognize that. In in the direct-to-consumer role, and you know, disclosure for everyone here, I only work in like consumer goods. I'm not right. out there. So don't call Rachel if you're at Wells Fargo. A bank. Exactly. <laughs> call me. Um, but yeah, but I've been doing e-commerce for 15 years of my life. And uh and I've sold everything from two dollar chapstick to uh, $7,500 professional camera equipment online. And the um, the thing that's happening in the market now is once you hit somewhere between $50 million and $150 million in direct-to-consumer revenue, you will plateau. Like Your cost per customer mm. acquisition will get so high. Mm. And all of a sudden, you're going to be like, holy crap, we need new forms of distribution. And why is that the number? Why is that? Yeah, 50 to 150 is a big span, but why is that? It? Because... You're competing for the same eyeballs as everyone else on the internet. I see. You just have to increase the target audience, mm-hmm. right? There's Expand a it. there's a great great article, and it's one of my favorite articles of the year. Inc. Magazine wrote about it, and it was the title something like "The 400 Warby Parkers." Mm. Like, take any single consumer product category, and there is so much competition now. Why? Because anyone can go on Alibaba, source product hire a designer to build a brand Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and launch a Shopify. Mm -hmm. Start buying Facebook ads and boom, you're in business. Mm -hmm. Like the cost per entry is so low now. So with all that being said, you need other forms of distribution. And that's when you end up turning to folks like Amazon, Target, Walmart, Ulta, Sephora, Nordstrom's, Macy's, Dick's Sporting Goods, you name it. It's actually an awareness channel. Mm. And, you know, look at Harry's, right? Harry's ended up on the shelves of Target. Hmm. And then yep. they had a $500 million acquisition 
Not bad. Yeah. So when you when you think about the future of Amazon as a business, mm-hmm. I'm just curious how how disrupted do you think they're going to be? And I'm thinking a little bit about what's happened to Facebook, and I'm not entirely sure what the actual impact of everything that's technically happened to Facebook is on Facebook. Mm-hmm. But do you think that there's a 2020 prediction there around potentially more governance, regulation, breakup, et cetera, of Amazon? I think it's going to be highly dependent on the upcoming election. Mm, right. Um, if Trump remains president, nothing will change. <laughs> Depending on if a Democrat wins, you know, if Elizabeth Warren, for example, were to become president, mm-hmm. we're going to see legislation try to be passed. Right. Um, will so pass? do I think anything will happen in 2020? No. 2021. Maybe, but definitely a lot of news headlines. Mm-hmm. 2022 possible, but mm-hmm. it will all be dependent on this upcoming election. Mm. What about Facebook? What do you, what's your real genuine opinion of everything that's been uncovered and the way they've been dealing with it? Yeah, I mean, what I always say to people is if you have a dollar to spend today, you will give 33 cents to Google. 33 cents to Facebook and 33 cents to Amazon. That is the most effective way to drive customer acquisition, again, in the consumer goods world. Right. So it's interesting, though, to see the power of advertisers because, uh, like, YouTube was really hit hard Mm -hmm. with brand safety. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Even today. Pulled back and held back. Even today, brands have pulled their dollars away from YouTube. They haven't pulled their dollars away from Google, right? Right, right, right. The money is still... Exactly. The money is still flowing into other parts of Google. Right. So with Facebook, you know, I do think that brands really care about data privacy and they will care even more next year with CCPA. That being said, there's not many other places to funnel your DR ad dollars. Mm -hmm. And when you have goals to hit and a media model to maintain, you're going to struggle to figure out where to put it. And it's just going to go to another giant. I think the big interesting thing is whether Walmart Media Group or Roundell can really make a land grab next year to show at least U.S. advertisers Mm. that this is a place to park your DR ad dollars. Okay, next question slash comment. Um, there's a ton of consolidation in the media space. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that business model is going? There's also a ton of new players. You know, we've seen BuzzFeed come in and Axios and Quartz and Bustle Media Group mm-hmm. and Pop Sugar, mm-hmm. Refinery29. And I'm kind of wondering, like, who's winning, who's losing? What is that? What does winning and losing mean? <laughs> What's the future of the business model? I have my own ideas, and I'll share them in a second. But I want, I want you to go first. Oh man, I mean, one, I first, I just have so much heart for the publishers. I know a lot of these founders, yeah, and I think same. this has been a really rough year. Yeah. Um, consolidation happened because they need to try to, you know hold hands together and appear to be bigger entities to try to compete against Facebook, Google, Pinterest, Snap, 
TikTok. The reality is all of those platforms were the, their growth, but they never owned those audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so <sighs> I actually have a pretty dismal view on that space, um, mm-hmm. which makes me sad because, again, like I have a lot of heart for those founders. I can see because it's yeah. so hard to say these no, things. <laughs> I have a lot of heart for those founders. I have a lot of heart for the brands that they created, really. Yeah. I actually think that most of them executed flawlessly. Wonderfully. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and, and the journalism is so important. Absolutely. A lot of what they bring to the table, that voice. Yeah, 100%. Like, you know, Mike and I, you know, know Chris Alchek from growing up, like they, did incredible yeah. work. Yeah. Um, that really created like actual positive impact in the world. Totally. Um, that being said, if you were to look at the business models, all of them are looking for alternative ways um, in terms of revenue. Yep. A As in them, alternative to advertising. Yeah. So a lot of them are trying to, Yeah. It could be anything from coming up with like B2B content plays. So huh. uh, going into, and I'm, um, I'm going to just say brands, and it doesn't mean this is happening, uh, you know, BuzzFeed going into Amex and saying, you have a whole content portal. We have tons of writers. We know how to make content cheaply. Right. Hire us to do it. Right. So it's like a little bit of like a white label our writers. Exactly. Which we see a lot of. That's the type of content we measure. Right. So there's a ton of that going on. Yep. There, there are people who are sitting on really interesting data insights around valuable customer segments like parenting. And trying to figure out new ways to sell that data, like to doctors, to uh, insurance companies, et cetera. Like trying to monetize the data in really different Mm -hmm. ways. There are people who say, like, we've built proprietary tech around content discovery. Mm -hmm. Let us take our discovery Mm -hmm. AI and bring that to your application and your business. So they're selling software, trying to. Everyone is just trying to figure out how to make money beyond advertising. You have people getting into consumer products and commerce. like So I have this dismal view. Um, that being said, I have another view, which is we have so many pipes now. Like we need to fill Spotify with content. We need to fill Disney Plus with content. We need to fill Netflix with content. We need to fill Amazon Prime with content. Like there are people hungry to buy content right now. Mm-hmm. So that being said, there's still plenty of what plenty of ways to create amazing IP and have distribution deals, sell it, like do 360 consumer products around it. Um, so I do think that there's hope. Yeah. But I don't think the name of the game is like walking into L'Oreal's office and trying to sell them your audience. Right. Because they can just go direct and do that themselves. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I wonder if there's a way to start something new in today's world. And create a unique IP and then also own the distribution. That, that's really what I'm trying to get at. Without dependency on any of the big social platforms. Yeah, I mean, like, let's just take the earliest example. Netflix's first show, House of Cards. So the, the most effective marketing for them has been within Netflix. That's where you'll get the highest traffic. But then they had to invest. Mm-hmm in awareness outside of that mm-hmm. because it only moved the needle so much. Right. And then you see them in out of home, you see them on Facebook, right? right? That's like, true. So, but what about some, what about um, a Glossier, Goop? Uh, do you think those are media companies with products or do you think those are product companies with media? They are media companies with product. 
Huh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. And do you think that they've done a good enough job of creating loyalty and IP? Yes. Those are two fantastic examples. Mm. Um, that being said, I mean, what, both of them are going to have an acquisition, like hands down. By one of the traditional CPGs. Yeah. Or like Emily Mice might be like, listen, I want to become really freaking rich and I really believe what I'm doing. And she'll say, you know what, Estee Lauder, you can have a $600 million stake in my business, but I still have X ownership and I'm going to keep going. Yeah. I'd be like, fuck yeah, Emily Weiss, you should do that. (laughs) You know? I think she Um, should. But I I heard Gwyneth speak at a conference in October. And, you know, she said, the majority of our revenue, fastest growing part of our business are consumer products. I was like, that makes complete sense to me. Hmm. And... You know, a PNG, a Unilever, an Edgewell, like someone's going to sweep in and buy Goop's consumer product business. Hmm. Interesting. Well, maybe that is the way to survive as a media company, as you build content. Essentially, all of it is branded content. Yeah. They're just selling product. Yeah, I believe the next PNGs will be someone like Gwen. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to see someone like Gwen come out with a series of product lines. What do you think of the... Um. Oh God, I'm gonna Kylie Jenner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's it called? Kylie Cosmetics. Is mm-hmm. that what it's called? Yeah. Um. What do you think of that acquisition? Because I I read wasn't a lot an acquisition. Of... She sold a six hundred million dollar stake. Oh. Hmm. And how much does she have left? Forty nine or something. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's like, damn, girl. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, a year ago. Do so you think that was a good deal? Who Who did it? Who bought them? Cody who, or who? Oh, Cody. Right. Do you think it was a good deal for Cody? Do I think it was a good deal for Cody? Because <laughs> I read a lot of people Listen, saying mean, that it wasn't. Right. But the narrative with most acquisitions is that it's not a good deal. Really? Yes. You think so? A hundred percent. Most acquisitions don't lead to success. Most acquisitions end up not getting fully integrated into the portfolio and don't hit the revenue goals that they thought it would. Because you turn off the growth machine hmm. and you say, no, 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 no. You need to operate like CoverGirl. Okay, but that wasn't how we were going to achieve the plan. Right. That's interesting because I feel like at least this year, some of the acquisitions that I've seen, and I mentioned a couple of them to you, the Tableau and the Looker acquisitions, I feel like maybe at that size, um, it makes it makes sense not to destroy the growth apparatus because it's so big that it's essentially the way that Salesforce grows now or Google Cloud, it's by acquiring companies. Yeah, but then you hear narratives around some of the acquisitions. And again, like, I'm not at these companies. I only hear hearsay, but, like, yeah. Moat and Oracle. Like, right. people question now. Was that yeah, good? Yeah, yeah. Red Hat and IBM. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. just, like, hearing rumblings that these things are haven't led to good situations. Right. But I think usually that happens when there's not a very strong philosophy in place as to why it was supposed to happen to begin with. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes acquisitions happen because two boys get very excited and they have big egos and they decide to go out for a drink and write something on a napkin. And other times you have a lot of thoughtfulness around like, how does this integrate with our customers? Are there upsells here? Mm-hmm. Strategic upsells like between Salesforce and Tableau. I mm-hmm. think the the um, synergies are pretty great. But um, but yeah, I, I agree. I guess the the question is not the the growth and the machine that the founder had built to that point, but really the completely different apparatus that they have to build to 
to resist the immune system of the larger organization. Mm -hmm. um, what you said, you, you probably, I don't know if you have thoughts on this, but um, do you think there's going to be a lot of consolidation, M&A activity? If so, where do you see it? Do you think more media will consolidate? Um, you already said Gwen's probably going to be acquired. Uh, uh, yeah, I do believe that. Um, next year? When do you think? Yeah, I, I think it could absolutely happen next year. I think there's a lot of unknowns with the upcoming election. Um, mm. Yeah. I think the narrative this year was people preparing for the uncertainty next year. Yeah. So like the narrative was capital's cheap right now. It might not be next year. Go get it even yeah. if you don't think you need it. Right. Yeah. Um, and then on the consolidation side, especially within MarTech ad tech, I think there's been a lot of fear around GDPR and CCPA mm -hmm. and what that's going to do to the industry and consolidation has been happening for people to sort of uh, gear up to navigate this world together. And then on the publisher side, I mean, essentially, you know, social platforms pull the plug out from underneath them mm -hmm. and we're like, you can keep playing with us, but we know the power we have and we're going to give you less money. And they're like, shit, we, we got to scramble and figure this out right now. Then you had everything around Uh, Verizon and AT&T and mm -hmm. Sprint, right? Like there's just all of this activity. And I do think that next year people are going to be more conservative in preparation for the upcoming election. You know, what's interesting is I agree, but then um, I have a completely different perspective. So I have, I have, I'm kind mm -hmm. of of two minds. I think there's also a ton of at least content, because I think a lot more about content, but I think there's a ton of content that's going to get created um, before, during, and after the election in order to try to drive the persuasion of the right stakeholders around the right initiatives. And I'm referring more to a comms use case, which has been kind of new to us. We work with the Walmart comms team, for mm -hmm. example, and starting to work with Qualcomm on, out of their comms team. Um, and we just see that there's a, kind of a renewed emphasis on proactive communication with government, proactive communication with journalists, with Um, any other kind of investors with strategic stakeholders that are going to influence the growth of your company. And so that I think is interesting. And the other thing that I think is true across the board for startups, like, yeah, one way to, you can be on the side of history where you're the thing that gets replaced. But then I also think it might be a time if the economy really struggles to question the value of some of the big platforms that are adopted inside of these large organizations and be like, is it really worth us paying, you know, $15 million a year to... An Adobe and Oracle, a Salesforce, Salesforce doesn't even work that much in the marketing space. But, um, but you know, what are the alternatives? What are the better and cheaper and more efficient independent stacks that we could build? Do you think it's a possibility? I think that has so much to do with cultures of company. Mm. Like, you, you don't think difficult economic times and a CFO coming in? I think difficult economic times, people want to consolidate. They don't and wanna, stick to what they, they want to diversify. Yeah. And try to get better deals through the power of size. Hmm. Yeah. I've talked to a bunch of people that have navigated from an enterprise software standpoint mm -hmm. that have navigated the, the past economic crisis. And um, there were startups that went in and said, you hate this company. They're not giving you great service. I'm going to come in at a tenth. And by the way, I'm also going to tell your CFO that I'm doing this. And they won. And it was actually a time of growth. 
as opposed to a time of depression. So I'm I'm remaining optimistic. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm bullish on my business because e-commerce only keeps growing, right? Yeah. Like there's some real realities. Like e-commerce is not going to slow down, right? And people are going to keep making content. And that being said, I do think there's an enormous amount of uncertainty that's going to about that's going to permeate. Yeah. The US and beyond in 2020 and that's going to create this overall cultural feeling of uh, we're not really sure what's about to happen. So let's just uh, hold mm-hmm. on to what mm-hmm. we're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. This was awesome. Yeah. So fun. I hope you enjoyed the conversation, especially because there's a ton of amazing nuggets in there. And for any feedback that you have, please email me at anda at prosandcontent.co. I would love to hear from you, especially if you'd like to nominate other speakers for us to feature. And if you want to hear more amazing content about the pros and cons of making content or being a better storyteller in today's world, please head to prosandcontent.co for more episodes. The best thing you could do for us is to rate, review, and share the series so we can grow the community and the much-needed conversation around the purpose and importance of brand storytelling. See you next time on Pros and Content.